1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. June 6th, this year, marks the 75th anniversary of D-Day, the Allied invasion of France in 1944, and serves as a means by which we will all need to take time out to appreciate our freedom and the incredible sacrifices of those who fought to ensure it. Today's story delves into the life of a man that the Allies fought against in World War II and World War I, a German general. Named Erwin Rommel. My intention is not to paint him as a hero, but as a capable adversary who showed many of the qualities that most of us would want in our own leaders. He would have made a great American or British general, but he was born in Germany, loyal to Germany, and fought for the Fuhrer, and died by order of the Fuhrer when it was found that he was involved with the men who had plotted Hitler's death. Rommel did not participate in the killing of Jews or the killing of prisoners of war there are two types of generals. There are fighting generals who seem to draw their very existence from being involved directly in the battle. And there are political generals whose skills lay in planning strategies, organizing and improving, and providing the necessary link between their armies and their government's leaders. Erwin Rommel, who many say was a fighting general, fought for Germany in two world wars, was wounded five times on five separate occasions, and is the only German general out of hundreds whose name has survived World War II intact. Today we're covering the life of Rommel, one of history's best-known generals. His military career began early in World War I, where he threw himself into the action, taking part in dangerous raids and reconnaissance missions throughout the Great War, as it was called. His men were heard to have said, Where Rommel is, there is the front. He had originally been an admirer of Hitler and, like most Germans, had no idea of the atrocities that were being committed against Jews, Poles, Dutch, and Slavic peoples in concentration camps. When he was asked to support a conspiracy to take Hitler out of the action, he agreed that, according to papers left by his wife, but objected to killing Hitler, believing that Hitler should be imprisoned, not murdered, and that Germany be surrendered to stop further bloodshed. During the height of Rommel's success in North Africa, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill sang his praises before the House of Commons. "'We have a very daring and skillful opponent against us,' Churchill declared. "'And may I say, across the havoc of war, a great general.'" In North Africa, Rommel, commanding the tank divisions battling against the British, engineered a series of maneuvers that kept the Germans in the battle months longer than expected due to serious shortages in gas and provisions. "'earning him the moniker "'the Desert Fox. "'He ignored Hitler's written orders "'to fight to the last man "'and burned Hitler's orders "'to kill all Allied commanders "'they captured. "'Then, in the wake of the D-Day invasion, "'Allied aircraft strapped his open-topped car "'as it rode through Normandy, France, "'causing it to somersault off the road. "'When the dust cleared, "'Rommel was unconscious, "'with multiple skull fractures "'and glass fragments in his face. "'Soon after, when Operation Valkyrie, the plot to assassinate Hitler, failed, on July twentieth, 1944, Rommel was named as one of the conspirators. He was left with the choice to be shot or take a suicide pill. In order to cover up the subsequent forced suicide of the popular general, Nazi officials told the public he had died as a result of the strafing. The truth didn't come out until the conclusion of the conflict. Today, we cover the life of the man they called the Desert Fox. We're very glad to have with us today Samuel W. Mitchum, Jr., the author of the new book, Desert Fox, the storied military career of Erwin Rommel. Sandy, it's great to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Would you mind giving us a little bit on your background, and why do you think it's important for people to learn about Rommel? I've um, got a
0: Ph.D. from the University of Tennessee. I was a professor for uh, 20 years at the uh, University of Louisiana, Monroe, Henderson State University, Georgia Southern University. I was visiting professor at West Point. I uh, was active in the reserve, graduated from the general Staff College. Things of that nature. Uh, I think uh, history itself is important, and uh, Toynbee, one of the uh, major figures in uh, history, historiography, historical thought, said, uh, write biographies. History is nothing more than the uh, biographies of great men. Now, I don't agree with that a hundred percent, but there's a lot of truth in it. We learn a lot from studying uh, the great men and women of history, uh, people who are movers and shakers and uh, molded their times. Um, and, uh Ronald was one of those people we can learn a lot from. He had uh, strong beliefs, strong principles, and was willing to die for them. Uh, he uh, Proved on more than one occasion he was willing to die for Germany, but uh, Germany uh, uh, breaks courage into two different parts, physical courage and civic courage. Uh, A lot of the German uh, generals and SS generals and what have you had physical courage. That's undeniable. But they didn't have civil courage, a lot of them. Otherwise, they would have um, overthrown Hitler before they uh, tried to. Uh, They would have uh, denounced Nazism and stood up to the dictatorship, and uh, the world would have probably been a better place. Uh, Rommel had uh, civic courage. Um, When he found out what Hitler actually was, what was actually going on, he joined the conspiracy to assassinate him. Now, Rommel didn't want Hitler assassinated. He wanted Hitler arrested and put on trial uh, so the German people could find out what he actually was. He was afraid if they murdered him. uh, Hitler would become a great uh, Nazi martyr. Uh, Of course, Rommel was being a little naive here because in 1944, I, I don't think you could come up with a plausible scenario where Hitler was arrested and um, not uh, rescued by the Nazis, not freed. Um, I I don't think it was physically possible to have him arrested and put on trial. But that's what Rommel wanted. Uh, Anyway, um, the assassination attempt failed. Uh, The Gestapo found out that Rommel was involved in a plot to overthrow the Third Reich. and they offered him an opportunity to commit suicide, or he could stand trial before the people's court. And he said he would stand trial. And Hitler's two emissaries, uh, Charles Burke, Dorff, and Nassau, told him that, uh, well, if he stood trial, they would take the routine uh, steps against uh, his family. Uh, which meant they would uh, end up in a concentration camp if they were lucky. Germany had a doctrine uh, that they applied in those days, Schapenhoff, collective family responsibility. In other words, it would not be possible for you to commit a crime. Uh, Your whole family uh, would be implicated in the crime. And uh, rather than have his family uh, murdered, uh, Rommel said, I'll be dead in 15
1: minutes. And he was dead within a half an hour. How did he earn the moniker well, Desert Fox? Well,
0: that just sort of happened. Uh, apparently the
1: British came up with
0: it first, uh, because he was taking them to the woodshed, uh, and, um. Uh, the, the, the nickname crossed the lines, and the German propaganda machine under Goebbels um, picked up on it. They saw an opportunity, and they knew an opportunity when they saw it. Uh, so they made him a hero, um, and Rommel went along with that. I think he liked playing the hero. He uh, uh, he had an almost American sense of public relations, which German generals in general didn't have, and um, say what you want to about Goebbels, he was a terrible person, but uh, uh, he could spin a yarn, and uh, he cu- that caught the imagination of, uh, the, of the German people, and also Rommel caught the imagination of the British people, too, because uh, he beat them fiercely about the head and shoulders so frequently. But uh, he insisted on uh, waging war,
1: and as a civilized a manner as possible. Uh, do you have so any. They you had a go ahead. Do you have any anecdotes or stories from the North African campaign uh, as it applies to Rommel? Oh, oh, yeah, quite a few. Could you <laughs> but, share a few? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: Well, what Rommel um, liked to do uh, was go out to the front. On a daily basis, uh, he didn't uh, confine himself to headquarters. He once said that no admiral ever won a battle from a shore base. And uh, he was always up front with the troops, and they loved that. Um, he ate the same things they ate and uh, underwent the same privations they did. And um, developed a reputation as a superman because he wasn't afraid of anything. One German soldier talked about it. They were in attack, and uh, they uh, uh, hit the dirt. They were pinned down. They were afraid to raise up their heads because they might get shot. They were ready to cut the buttons off their uniforms so they could get closer to the ground. And the next thing you know, Rommel strides up fully erect and says, What the hell is the matter with you fellows? Just because it gets a little hot over here doesn't mean you have to belly flop every time. (laughs) And he got the attack going again. And uh, as soon as he left, there were casualties again. And uh, the saying in the Africa Corps was, uh, no bullet was made, Uh, that will hit the old man. And that wasn't true, of course. He uh, was wounded five times during the war, uh, severely. During World War One and World War Two, he uh, he held the uh, wounded badge and gold for being wounded uh, five times. Um, but uh, it developed a camaraderie. He made them feel like they were elite troops, and they weren't. They were just regular German draftees, but um, they became uh, what he wanted them to be, which was elite troops. Uh, one of his lieutenants, that anyone who came under his spell became a real soldier.
1: Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter, Jennifer Grant, Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001stories at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it.
0: Uh, And he uh, insisted on treating uh, POWs properly, there was a volunteer Jewish battalion in the Free French Brigade, and uh, Rommel captured it. And uh, Hitler uh, sent an order that they were to be terminated with extreme prejudice. And they would be shot. And uh, Rommel and his operations officer, Sagfried Westphal, uh, went behind Rommel's uh, command vehicle and burned it. The troops never saw it. The Jews were turned over to the Italians, who treated them like uh, regular Allied POWs. And uh, some of these men ended up in the Israeli army in the late 40s. But he was always doing uh, what he thought was right, and uh, that didn't always entail obeying orders. But he insisted on... A civilized warfare could be waged uh, once the uh, the British ordered that any Germans who were taken prisoner were not to be given water uh, until after they had been interrogated, and that flew all over Rommel, and um, he issued the same order to his men and uh, sent a letter to Auchinleck, who was then the British commander in chief. And uh, uh, basically told him that that has to be rescinded. And Offenreich rescinded it immediately. I'm not sure he even knew it had been issued, but uh, he found out. Um, and as soon as that happened, Rommel rescinded his order, and the British were given water. Um, he. Uh, he was easy for his men to get along with. Uh, he was a lot tougher on officers. Um, uh, uh, general uh, uh, Later, General, but then he was a major. Uh, by 19, uh, said that it required nerves of steel to work for Rommel. Um, and say he was harsher on his
1: officers. How did Rommel get along with Hitler? Hitler was trying to run the war from Berlin, right? And uh, I understand it and from what your book shares that uh, they were often at odds. How did that, what exactly happened there? How did he handle Hitler's commands?
0: That's a moving
1: target. Uh, very different in
0: 1938 than it was in 1944. Um, Rommel, uh, distinguished himself in World War I, uh, at, uh, the Battle of uh, Madarjar. He uh, captured uh, 9,000 Italians. He had less than 800 men under his command and captured uh, 9,000 Italians and 81 guns. A few days later, at Langhorn, he uh, captured 10,000 Italians, won the Port La the uh, equivalent of the Medal of Honor. And In the 1930s, he wrote a book based on his experiences and the lectures he gave at the the War Academy. Well, the book became a bestseller, and Adolf Hitler read it and wanted to meet the man who wrote the book. So uh, he named him uh, acting commander of the uh, FIRA uh, bodyguard battalion during the uh, Soviet land crisis later in Czechoslovakia and people. Um, all of which were bloodless conquests, and then later in Poland. Um, and um, he liked Rommel. And at that time, Rommel liked him. Um, you've got to remember that if uh, Adolf Hitler had died in say, 1937, uh, we would think of him entirely differently than we think of him today. Uh, He did some good things in the 30s. He eliminated unemployment in Germany. He had massive public works projects that benefited everyone, including the autobonds. He restored the military draft. Uh, I guess uh, you could say he made Germany great again. Um, And he made outlandish comments uh, about the Jews, but that wasn't taken so seriously before Kristallnacht. Uh, there was some discrimination, but there's a lot of difference, in, uh, uh, little discrimination and uh, putting someone in a gas chamber. Uh, so the German people liked him, and he was very popular, and Rommel liked him. Uh, only later did um, it turn out that these outlandish statements uh, were totally serious. And Hitler changed over time. I think, uh, personally, that he was on a delicate mental perch that he eventually fell off of. Uh, Anyway, uh, after the Polish campaign, Rommel approached Hitler and said, I I would like a command. Hitler took a personal interest in him by now and said, what do you want? And Rommel said to command a panzer division. And Rommel later admitted that was an extremely modest request on my part because uh, there were literally hundreds of officers uh, better qualified for that than he was. As far as I know, he never got inside a tank before 1938. This was 1939. And he'd spent his entire career in the infantry or in the mountain branch. But Hitler gave him command of the Seventh Panzer Division in France, and Bravo made the best out of it. Uh, he had about ten thousand men in his unit, and he captured uh, over ninety-seven thousand Frenchmen and Allied soldiers, including uh, several British generals. He captured five admirals. He ran over the naval base for the French Atlantic Fleet. Uh, he really distinguished himself, and then. Uh, Uh, after the Italian army collapsed in uh, North Africa, Hitler gave him uh, command of the Africa Corps. Now that was uh, really just a blocking force. Uh, That was Hitler's idea. Uh, Hitler, and I think quite correctly, said the loss of uh, North Africa could be withstood from a military point of view. Uh, However, it would free up uh, a dozen British divisions, which they could use most dangerously, and certainly he was right there. So uh, Rommel inherited a sideshow, and uh, he immediately expanded his uh, uh, scope well beyond his original orders. He overran uh, all of uh, Libya except for the fortress of Tobruk, which held out in his rear, and uh, he. Uh, the, the rear end of the Western Desert Force, the British 13th Corps, and the British 8th Army, and uh, won some spectacular victories. But North Africa was always a secondary front to Hitler and the Nazis. The British, on on the other hand, it was their only active theater of operations. They poured all sorts of resources into it. They were very frustrated they couldn't defeat Rommel. You know, meanwhile, in Europe, I mean, they had... Uh, Rommel had two divisions in North Africa which later increased to four. Uh, Hitler committed over 150 divisions to the Eastern Front. And that's where we got to see Nazism for what it really was. We got to see Hitler as a mass murderer. And he was uh, killing uh, Jews, Gypsies, and uh, Slavs and what else he didn't like. Rommel was isolated in North Africa. He didn't see that for a long time. I don't think he found out about the Holocaust until about 1943. Uh, he was in Italy, and somebody told him what was actually going on. and We don't know who. I mean, obviously, uh, whoever did it swore Rommel to secrecy, and Rommel never broke that confidence. But um, his son, Manfred, he had one child. Uh, by his marriage, wife, and Manfred liked the SS uniforms, which were unquestionably sharp-looking. It's one reason the SS got a lot of recruits, kind of like the U.S. Marine Corps today. Those two service groups, I think, had the best-looking uniforms of the 20th century. Manfred wanted to join the SS, and Erwin Rommel said, you absolutely will not. I will not allow it. And that took uh, Manfred by a surprise because his daddy never talked to him that way. He treated him uh, almost as an adult, um, sit down, had father and son discussions. But uh, this time it was a categorical imperative, and uh, Manfred asked him, um, you know, why not? And he almost said, because I will not allow you to serve under a murderer. Manfred asked, uh, do you mean Himmler? Yes, he's conducting mass murders in the east. And Manfred uh, asked, "Is Hitler involved?" And Rommel said, "I don't know," but the implication was, "I will find out." And he did. He found out Hitler was involved. Then he turned against him. So the relationship uh,
1: uh, devolved. As you and I, point, as uh, you and I talk today, we're approaching the seventy-fifth anniversary of D-Day. Rommel, I believe, was responsible for the coastal defenses of France. How did he set them up, and what happened on D-Day?
0: Well, uh, Rommel believed in mines, mines, and mines. Um, he had anti-tank mines, he had anti-personnel mines. Uh, he had held up the British 8th Army for three whole weeks uh, at L'Alamein, and that was a prelude to the defense of Normandy in Western Europe. Uh, he, uh, it was the antithesis of the Blitzkrieg. Uh, at El Alamein, Rommel uh, was out of uh, petroleum. He had uh, three issues of fuel uh, in the army when uh, the British attacked, which is enough for three days. Uh, but but he held them off for three weeks, largely using mines and various other tricks. Um, Normandy sort of pulled the same thing. He believed that if the Allies uh, had 48 hours to, to land and dig in, they, Germany would uh, would never be able to get rid of them. Uh, his exact words were, there would be little hope for us. and. Um, He uh, laid uh, more than twice as many mines in six months as the uh, Germans had laid in four years. And also, he wanted to bring the units close to the coast so they could launch immediate counterattacks. I put in my book the units that he wanted to move to Normandy. Rommel suspected the Allies were going to come ashore in Normandy because he analyzed their bombing pattern and uh, realized that they were trying to make a strategic island out of Normandy. They didn't want the Germans to be able to bring up reinforcements, so they were blowing up bridges and railroads. And at the same time, uh, they weren't mining the 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 water off the coast of Normandy. Um, Of course, you wouldn't want to mine the uh, waters if you were going to send your invasion fleet there. At Calais, uh, there were a lot of mines. Uh, So Rommel wanted to bring up, uh, for example, the uh, 12th SS Panzer Division, Hitler Youth, which, in my opinion, was the best uh, unit on either side to fight uh, in Normandy, with the possible exception of some of the airborne divisions, which were well-trained, but they weren't nearly as well-equipped as the Hitler Youth. And uh, he wanted to bring up the entire 3rd flat Corps, which was armed primarily with eighty-eights. Uh, they were the main hash of uh, our tanks. Um, he also uh, brought in better units. I mean, uh, look at Omaha Beach. Uh, it was initially defended by the uh, German 77th Infantry Division, which was uh, made up of Volksdeutsch, ethnic Germans. Many of them couldn't even speak uh, uh, German. They were uh, Polish. And they put one battalion to defend Omaha Beach. And that's the only way looking at Omaha Beach can make sense. They thought they would uh, not be willing to fight for Germany. And indeed, they, they probably wouldn't have been. And the uh, mayor left which before D-Day, Rommel inspected Omaha Beach or what became Omaha Beach and said uh, uh, he was in a bad mood and uh, he thought the 77th was inferior. So he uh, ordered it replaced with the 352nd Infantry Division which was made up of young German boys who were true believers in the cause and who had spent two years in the Eastern Front. And he didn't put uh, one battalion there. He put an entire regiment, uh, three battalions, basically. And uh, we didn't know this. The uh, French resistance found out about it quickly, of course, and uh, they notified Allied headquarters in the usual way, carrier pigeons. Well, Rommel knew that they were sending carrier pigeons, so he lined the whole coast up with men who they had nothing else to do with with, with shotguns, and um, their duty was to shoot pigeons. Um, And the French, of course, knew that too. So they would send each message on different days by two different pigeons. Because they figured uh, it would take major stroke of luck for the Germans to shoot both pigeons. Well, uh, you know, kind of like the Titanic and any other disaster. Uh, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The uh, Rommel shotgunners shot down both pigeons. So we didn't know that Omaha Beach was being defended by veterans of the Eastern Front until D-Day had been. Uh, in progress for several hours. And then um, we got unlucky, too. The weather was bad. Of course, Eisenhower made the greatest decision of uh, his life and one of the greatest decisions of the war to go ahead despite the marginal weather. But on Omaha Beach, they were going to bomb it with uh, B-17s which would require instrument bombing, and uh, General Doolittle, the Air Force commander, went to General Eisenhower and wanted to add two or three seconds to the bombing approach. Because uh, uh, bombing by instrument in 1944 was a dangerous thing. If they released the bombs early, uh, it would have landed on our fleet. as the men were getting into the landing crafts, uh, that would have been a disaster. So they added uh, 10 to 3 seconds per bomb drop. Uh, as a result, the bombs fell two miles inland. And all that did, it didn't hurt the German defenses at all, but it did uh, wake them up and say, hey, look, something's coming. Because uh, it was a major uh, bomb run. And um, uh, if you read the uh, reports and the interviews of the uh, Allied men in the landing craft, and here they talk about uh, as they were approaching the beach, they could hear the German marking rounds striking their landing craft. They were uh, getting ready for them to drop the ramp, and when they did, uh, cut them to pieces, and uh, uh, D-Day uh, was a, a major disaster on Omaha Beach. We uh, barely clung on to it, it was still in question. Uh, this night fell on uh, June 6th, and had Rommel been uh, given the mobile reserves that he had requested from Hitler, I don't think there's much doubt Omaha Beach would have been wiped out, and uh, Utah Beach would have been in danger.
1: Rommel was not present uh, during D-Day, right? Was he back in Berlin?
0: No, he was back in uh, his heralds in the uh, little village that his wife was in, uh, southwestern Germany. That June 6th was her birthday. And he was going to Berkshire's garden to meet with Hitler on uh, June 7th. He got the weather reports, said they were, it was going to be lousy. Uh, rain was already beginning to fall at his headquarters when he left. uh, June fifth, he figured it was safe. He'd uh, actually bought her a pair of shoes for her birthday because they were running low in Germany. uh, Got there, and ironically enough, the shoes didn't even fit. But uh, yeah, he um, he didn't get back uh, to his headquarters in France until about ten thirty on June sixth at night. Uh, he couldn't get a counterattack going you know, quickly enough to throw the Allies back into the
1: sea. And, and for those next few days, what did he try to do to stem the, the tide?
0: Well, he tried to get a counterattack going, but it was June ninth before that happened. And I uh, oh, got up the Penzell Air Division and stood one of his subordinates. General so, you know, Dolman the Southern Army made a major mistake ordered it to move forward in daylight. What the Germans called the JABOs, the Allied Fighter Bombers, oh. toward it limb from limb. But what was left of it uh, attacked just exactly at the same time and place as Montgomery launched an attack. And it was a head-on collision, but uh, uh, the Germans didn't win didn't really lose, but they didn't win either. And Ty went to the Allies, basically, because uh, they could build up a lot faster than Rommel could because of Hitler's interference. Uh, It's one of the ironies of uh, World War II. Uh, Hitler uh, decided that Normandy would be the target until the first Allied soldier put his foot on the beach. Then he decided it was a diversion, and uh, the real invasion would come at the of play. He insisted on keeping the infantry there. The German infantry stayed up in the, 5th, the northern zone, 15th Army. Now, Rommel was in Normandy, and Normandy is great country for infantry. Uh, if you go there today, the terrain's changed considerably. You'll find very few hedgerows. Back in those days it was covered in hedgerows and a Norman hedgerow is not like the uh, American hedge that you have on your lawn. Uh, they were usually uh, 6, 8, or 10 feet tall and they were earthen dikes, is what they were uh, and uh, they had uh, shrubs growing in them and even trees. Uh, they made great infantry positions. But Rommel couldn't get his infantry. Hitler did give him uh, panzer divisions, so the panzer divisions were bled white in Normandy. And when the Allies broke out into the interior of France, which is an excellent tank country, uh, the Germans didn't have any more tanks. That's when Hitler brought up the infantry, and they were swamped by people like Patton. And that's why one
1: reason France fell so quickly. Question for you. Who was it who first brought Rommel in on the attempt to take Hitler out of action? And exactly what was done and what was planned to try and do that? What happened?
0: Oh, there was a a Luftwaffe lieutenant colonel
1: named uh,
0: Wolfhacker. And uh, he was the son of a general that. uh, Rommel knew in World War one and highly respected. He he was the main mover and shaker in bringing Rommel in. Um, his family had a lot of influence with Rommel, and they had a frank discussion. I wish I had the transcript of it, but
1: uh, no one does.
0: It doesn't exist. But uh, he was the first one. Rommel um, became more and more interested in it. Uh, he had a falling out with his chief of staff, Goss. Uh, actually, uh, what had happened? Goss and he worked very well together in Africa, and uh, Goss's home was bombed out in Allied bombing raids. And uh, Frau Rommel took Frau Goss in, and they were living together uh, with Rommel's family. But the two women could not get along. Um, so, uh, it created a rift between the two families and, uh, Rommel had to replace his chief of staff. He did it with a man named Dr. Spidell who uh, wanted to assassinate Hitler and he got Rommel deeper and deeper into the plot, although Rommel never wanted to kill Hitler. He say he wanted him on trial and Spidell was in charge on D-Day and, uh, kind of made a mess of things. He didn't contact Rommel until very late in the morning. D-Day had already been going on for several hours before Rommel even got the phone call. And Rommel immediately realized this was the invasion. And as soon as he hung hung up, he just sat down and and shook his head and said, how stupid of me. How stupid of me. And he immediately returned to France, but he was too late.
1: How has history t- treated Rommel? How, did, how, does, how has he emerged from history? As just a, a brilliant general uh, on the losing side? Is there anything more to him?
0: Well, as a man willing to
1: sacrifice himself for his principles, and um,
0: it's always
1: refreshing in
0: history. Um, but mainly as a brilliant general, that's, that's what he devoted his life to, was a professional lodge. And that's what he's gone down as. The British liked him. But part of that was, uh, frankly, uh, he beat us, so therefore he must be the best. And uh, Churchill, of course, was uh, obsessed with defeating him. One time he yelled in Parliament, Rommel, 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 what else matters but beating him? (laughs) It's kind of the way it felt, even. Uh, He said, uh, uh, worst effect in Parliament of uh, across the havoc of war, I must say, he is a very great general. And he was. He's very good at it. He wasn't perfect. No one ever is. Uh, but um, he did very well.
1: Yeah, I especially enjoy the parts in your book that, that brought him from his early experiences in World War One, where he turned out to be a, a tremendous leader early on. And then through to uh, his services during World War II, he was he was a well-disciplined person, as I recall. Uh, no alcohol, uh, no faults. He was loyal to others, as he was with his uh, with the mother of his first child, and he was loyal to the people around him. His soldiers loved him, and he was well respected all around. Uh, for a guy who had spent a good twenty-five. 30 years in the military, he had uh, worked his way all the way up the ladder and and done it because of his leadership abilities, his ability to learn, his uh, ab- ability to make decisions during critical times, uh, during tense uh, situations, and always seemed to come out on top. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes. Yes, it was. And he had
0: a whole different leadership mantra. Indeed, all the Germans did. It opposed the British. I mean, the British uh, Army headquarters in one of the operations was 60 miles behind the front. And Rommel was up front with the troops. He could influence things immediately. And by the time the British would react, it was too late. And happened on many occasions. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a good assessment. As one of his uh, staff officers said, he was, uh, if anything, too tough on himself and everybody else. He never asked anybody to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself, but he was willing to push himself to the max. Even Hitler uh, said that Erwin Rommel was the hardest man he ever met. He would go days with uh, very little sleep,
1: uh, very little food. He didn't care what he ate. He, often he forgot to eat. What do you think are some similarities and differences between Rommel and Patton? Um, There are more similarities than differences.
0: Patton was, of course, obsessed with fighting Rommel, meeting him in battle, and defeating him, and he was disappointed they never really got to. Of course, when Tunisia, when the troops first clashed, uh, Patton was commanding a corps, which is much smaller than Rommel's command and Africa, which was at that time an army group. Rommel appreciated Patton, but at that time didn't look on him as much more than another talented Allied commander. That changed after Rommel was wounded. Now Rommel was wounded on July 17th. Uh, Patton broke through at the end of July, broke out of Normandy and overran France, and. Uh, Rommel uh, only heard about it from reports and so forth, but he said uh, he talked about how awesome that was. And we were watching the uh, greatest, uh, possibly the greatest campaign in the history of armored warfare for Patton's uh, front through France. So he, he admired uh, Patton, especially there toward the end. They were very different people, you know. Patton was very profane. They both you know, believed in maneuver, and they both uh, did it very well. The difference was uh, Patton always outnumbered the enemy, uh, generally did, uh, whereas uh, Rommel always fought outnumbered.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's a great point. I always, I always saw Patton as a man who pretty much saw himself as a general of destiny. He had studied all the old battles and saw himself as a modern day general on the same level as as a Napoleon for instance, and I think he pictured himself differently and Rommel I don't know how much he was the same. Rommel was just pretty much purely a military polished button type of guy who was who was going to get it done any way he could and you're right he always he always did seem to be outnumbered, and that seemed to be uh, the mark to his. Fame.
0: Yes. Wolf Heitman
1: wrote a book about it. And he
0: said that Rommel was one of those men who uh, rose directly in proportional to the task at hand. But, uh, the worse off he was in terms of numerical uh, strength, the better he became. But like I say, there are more similarities than differences between Patton and Rommel.
1: Well, they both They're died premature do you believe Patton was murdered?
0: I don't know. I'm the two minds of it. I've heard the conspiracy theories. Uh and I don't discount them. It could have been. Um, there were definitely people who'd like to have gotten rid of him now, uh, with a resort to murder, I couldn't say. If they uh, did murder him, they covered it up pretty good. On the other hand, Patton was a little bit accident prone. uh, and it, it seems to me that the, the the accident that he was involved in, no one else was hurt. So why would he be paralyzed? So uh, I just wonder myself. I, uh, I think that's one of history's little mysteries that we're never going to really know the answer
1: to. Did Rommel leave any mysteries for history to worry over?
0: No, not really.
1: He was a very straightforward man. And
0: that's one thing. That, you know, Patton routinely cheated on his wife. and was terrified that she might find out about it. Uh, Rommel um, never did. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the major differences. But Rommel, um, character, uh, didn't didn't leave any uh, any major holes, any major questions. So it's a fairly straightforward story. Rommel was not a terribly complex person. Um, he was a, a simple soldier with certain standards that he would not compromise. And a uh, pretty tough taskmaster, but not a uh, not a harsh one. Uh, loved his family. He loved his country. Um, he respected his men. I mean, uh, even in World War One, he developed correspondence with his old buddies, the enlisted men who had served with him, and they corresponded. And even during World War II, when he had a whole lot to do, he always answered their letters, but he would sit down and write them. Very rarely did he have somebody type. But he wasn't particularly sentimental in that respect. He, uh, he had certain friends, but never... Uh, he didn't get too familiar with Rommel. Uh, which, you know, I guess, is a normal for a general officer in a combat situation. You don't want to get too close to anybody because they could be killed at any moment.
1: So, Sandy, how do people contact you? Uh, could you give us a, a website or Facebook addresses and uh, and also let them know how they can get a hold of your book?
0: Um. Well, the book you can uh, contact uh, regular history, it's publisher. But it's on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble and most bookstores now I understand. And uh, uh, me Samuel Mitch and Facebook, yeah, I guess that's the best way. Or send me a letter, Care of Regular History, Washington,
1: D.C. Well, it's been great having you with us today. I know that our listeners are going to enjoy the story. The book is The Desert Fox, The Storied Military Career of Erwin Rommel by Samuel W. Mitchum, Jr. And Sandy, thank you so much for being with us today. And I wish you luck uh, with this book and with everything else that you do. It's been wonderful having the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much.